And so we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7 just for context, but our focus will be primarily Luke, or excuse me, old habits are hard to die, and uh, Isaiah chapter 9 uh, this morning, verse 6, looking forward to our time together in God's Word. Let's pray now and ask Him for His guidance. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray now as we hear it that You would instruct us by it and change us for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot and tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That is God's Word. Do you think over the last 10, 15, 20 years, there's a lot that has changed regarding birth? Not in so much how birth happens, that's been the same, but in how so much it's changed in how births are announced. From the gender reveal parties to birth announcements, parents now have a lot of different ways to share news of a newborn. Just think about birth announcements. We never did birth announcements. We figured the world would well know that our children have arrived soon enough. Plus, I didn't want on Shutterfly's email list for another reason. But think about the birth announcements you've seen. Typically, a customized picture, date of birth, weight, size, etc. Maybe parents' names. Imagine, though, seeing a birth announcement, not only declaring these things, but also stating what this child would be and do. Think about that. If you were to receive a birth announcement today, and it stated, Jane Valerie Doe, seven pounds, two ounces, born on December 13th, 2020. And then it went on to say, professional violinist, triathlon champion, CEO of major organization, and mother of three. Now, You would think, okay, maybe, maybe that's what she will be, but who knows? I mean, all you could confidently say at that moment on that birth announcement would be thumbsucker, diaper filler, noisemaker, and cute, with confidence, right? And it sounds crazy that we would have any kind of birth announcement that would state not only 
the name and details of the birth, but also the accomplishments of what this child would be and do. It'd be crazy, impossible even, for us to have such an announcement. That's exactly what we have in Isaiah chapter 9. We have a birth announcement of a child that would be born and the name given this child, in fact, a variety of different names, stating not only what his name would be, but what he would come and do, what he would come and accomplish. Isaiah 9 is a birth announcement of magnitude. Indeed, not only stating the accomplishments that would not just be good news for the people of God in Isaiah's day, but would be good news for all people forever. As we think about Isaiah chapter 9, I think it's important for us to get just a bit of backdrop, a bit of context as to what's going on here as we hear these very familiar verses, especially this time of year, especially verse 6, a child is born, a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Very familiar words, but what is the context in which these are spoken? Well, during Isaiah's day, that we know that we have the the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. They'd been divided, um, constant fighting going on, back and forth, etc. But I want you to think about Judah, the southern kingdom, Jerusalem being the capital, and, and we have a king who's ruling Judah during this day, and his name is Ahaz, King Ahaz. He was an ungodly, a wicked king. Where during this time, two kings in the north, the kingdom of Israel and a king of Syria, threatened and joined forces to attack Jerusalem. And they did so. Well, in response, Ahaz decides to form an alliance with the Assyrians, the major world power of the day. But we know from previous passages that God had warned his people, God had told his people not to form alliances with pagan nations, lest they be infected with idolatry and evil practices. Yet that's exactly what Ahaz does. He seeks to form an alliance with the Assyrians in order to protect himself and the southern kingdom of Judah from the attacks of the northern kingdom and the Syrians. So God, through Isaiah, sends word to Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7. If you were to go back to Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah is sent to King Ahaz to urge him and to warn him against making such an alliance. In fact, God is gracious to this wicked king. And so he says to Ahaz in Isaiah 7, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Basically, the Lord is saying through Isaiah, Ahaz, ask for any sign you want, and God will show you that you do not need an alliance with the Assyrians, but he is sufficient to rescue you from your trouble. Any sign, any sign, ask for it, and God will give it. Now, last week, we talked about those seeking signs and and how sometimes that's a bad thing, but in this case, God is instructing him to do so, and he refuses. His mind is made up. Then we know that God goes on to say in Isaiah 7, 14, well, even though you refuse, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall and she'll call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz refuses and God says, I'm still going to give a sign and it's going to be through the birth of, this, of, of a child. 
Well, we know that Ahaz rejects God and his offer and the rest of chapter 7 and all of chapter 8 really detail the judgment that would come because of this rejection. So by the time you get to the end of chapter 8, in verse 22, it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Not only did do we see, in fact, you can go read about this in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 28. Second Chronicles chapter 28, but not only did King Ahaz seek the assistance of the Assyrians, as an alliance, what ended up happening is God raised up the Assyrians to actually bring judgment against them. The very thing Ahaz was seeking was his downfall. And so you see all of this happening in chapter 7 and chapter 8, which gets us to chapter 9. It was not a good day in Judah. In fact, we think about this entire year of 2020 just in general, This entire year, perhaps, would have been better than a single day in Judah then because of the the darkness, the anguish, the gloom, the, the judgment that was bearing down upon the people of God in that day. And Isaiah is even warned there in chapter 8, verses 11 and follow, not to walk in the same ways of the people. God had been rejected, not just by this wicked king, but by the people at large, and and they were going to pay the price for that. And yet, despite all of their wickedness, despite the wickedness of this king, despite the blatant idolatry and all the rest, God still holds out the offer of grace and a light of hope in the midst of all of this rejection and darkness. And this darkness was deserved darkness in Israel, in Judah. And yet God says, I'm going to give you light. I'm going to provide you hope. I'm holding out hope because I remain faithful to my covenant. Despite all that's going on, despite the coming invasion of the Assyrians, despite all that the the people of God had done to reject God in his ways, God remained faithful and he held out hope for this people. And he's saying here that this hope would come through a child. Now, our focus this week and next is going to be on the four names that we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So, Isaiah 9, 6 will be the focus of our attention these next few weeks. But let me just kind of help you see some things earlier in chapter 9 that I think are important for us, making several observations before we get to the names. All of this promise that God has been making. And so you see in verse 22 of chapter 8, they will be thrust into thick darkness, chapter 9, verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Hope is coming. And so what you're going to see here in all of that God promises is that it is a promise marked by certainty. In fact, if you were to read verses 2 and 3, look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they were glad when when they divide the spoil, etc. Notice all the past tense verbs in verses 2 and 9, or excuse me, verses 2 through 3 of chapter 9. All of these past tense, this is what often is referred to as the prophetic past tense, speaking 
of a future event or future events, future things in past tense, meaning that there is certainty of this promise. The prophets would often speak this way in past tense as if these promised things, 700 years from now would this take place. But he's speaking in past tense to point to the absolute certainty of what was going to happen through this coming child, through this coming son. It's a promise that's marked by certainty. It's a promise that would bring joy. We see that. They would go from anguish to joy. It's a promise marked by a birth. This hope would be fully realized through a coming child. This would be sign and proof of God's promise. We know this is a prophecy pointing to Jesus. It's a promise marked by a king. What's the answer to God's people enduring the reign of a wicked king like Ahaz and others? He's going to send another king, a better king, a righteous king, a just king. And the government shall be on his shoulders. It just points to to how God would would move in the midst of all of this darkness. It's this child king that that we're going to spend the next few weeks understanding through these names. Because it's this same king promised to Israel some 700 years before his birth. Talking about a birth announcement that was a bit early. 700 years prior, this same king is the same king that's the foundation of our hope and our joy and our confidence some 2,000 years after his arrival, after his birth. So Isaiah describes him with these names. We're going to look at two this week and two next week. This week we're going to consider Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and then the next week, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what we're going to find embedded in these names regarding this child and this son is truth that will be the foundation of our hope and joy no matter what darkness we may be facing. No matter if it's a, if it's a dark judgment that God's people were, were enduring in this day, or no matter the darkness you might find yourself in today, it is hope that is given to you. This is light shining in darkness to be the anchor of your hope and the anchor of your joy, no matter what you may be experiencing or what you have experienced or what you will experience. This is the good news that we cling to as God's people. Let's look at these titles together. First of all, he is wonderful counselor. He is wonderful counselor. God promises a child who will be the hope of his people, and then he gives us his name. It's not like a name we'd normally expect. First name we have here, you see verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Right? We know the angel tells Mary and Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from, his, from their sins. But here in Isaiah, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, when we think of wonderful Our understanding of wonderful is a bit different than the Old Testament's usage of the same word. We think of some kind of maybe emotional thing or some kind of subjective thing as something that's just full of wonder and awe, and it's just amazing in that way. Well, that's certainly true about Jesus. But here the idea is more of supernatural. Literally, you could say it's a, the title here is, the name is Counselor of Wonder, Supernatural Counselor. 
And notice here that I don't think this is by accident. I think this is intentional. Notice as contrasted to the wicked king Ahaz who trusted in his own wisdom and the human alliances that he was seeking with pagan nations, God is promising a king with supernatural wisdom. Not a king that's going to seek his own wisdom. Ahaz ignored God's wisdom and guess what? His plan backfired, didn't it? The very alliance he was seeking with the Assyrians actually became the means of judgment against them. Just, just hear this one verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 28. This is detailing the historical account of what's going on with Ahaz and the people of Judah. Ahaz had sought out the help of the Assyrians as an alliance, and this is what we read in 2 Chronicles 28 verse 20. So Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Did you hear that? He afflicted him instead of strengthening him. The very help that he sought, the very wisdom that he thought he had that he was pursuing actually became his downfall. Ahaz lost his throne and brought further harm and darkness upon Israel because he refused to trust the Lord and his wisdom. And God's promise now is that the very hope of his people is going to be the one that's coming, a child that's going to be born, a son that's going to be given, who is to be named Wonderful Counselor, supernaturally wise. We know later on Isaiah 11, Isaiah 28, for example, in Isaiah 28, verse 29, we're told that he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. The wisdom of man, as we see, could not rescue God's people from the darkness, but yet it brought only further darkness, further doom, further gloom, further anguish. Friends, it's just a reminder to us that our hope will never rest fully and finally in the wisdom of man. Our hope must be found in the wonderful counselor. He is unlike any other counselor that you may seek, any other expert, any other leader, any other ruler, any other one that would claim to be somebody in this world, this wonderful counselor is above all others. A couple of ways that we see his wisdom, his supernatural wisdom. First of all, we see that he is wise to rescue us. The primary work of this counselor would be to accomplish true and lasting deliverance for his own people. It's Jesus as the wonderful counselor that has the wisdom and knowledge to give us all that we need for our rescue and deliverance. Paul says this quite well in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. Paul says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You're going to boast, boast in the Lord, because through his wisdom and through the means in which he comes to accomplish, he gives salvation. I love how the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, commented on this title, wonderful counselor. Spurgeon said this, he said, it was by a counselor that this world was ruined. 
Did not Satan mask himself in the serpent and counsel the woman with exceeding craftiness that she should take unto herself the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Was it not that evil counsel which provoked our mother to be a rebel against her maker and bring death into this world with all its train of woe? Ah, beloved, it was right then that this world should have a counselor to restore it if it had a counselor to destroy it. That's exactly what Christ comes to do. He comes to be the wonderful counselor because he is wise in salvation and he is the one to whom we must look to and put our hope. Just as we trusted the counsel of the evil one which brought gloom and darkness and destruction, we must look to the wonderful counselor to rescue us. He is our only hope. And you may be here with us or maybe watching our live stream and Maybe for a long time you've been wrestling with the truth of God's Word, maybe the truth of God and how to have salvation. Maybe it's clear to you that you're not a Christian and you're, you're just trying to understand life. You're seeking out truth, and, and may, or maybe you're with us and you, and you just outright reject it. Friend, I would just ask you, what is it that you're hoping in, in this dark world? It is a dark world. It is a world filled with anguish and struggle and distress. Who are you trusting in as your hope? And friend, how is that going for you? How is it going? If you're, if you're trusting in someone or something outside of Christ, how is that? Does that fill you with joy and confidence and hope? Does it lead you to live life in a way that is confident before God? Do you find that the very thing you depend on in this dark world gives you true and lasting peace? Friend, the truth of the matter is, is that nothing can except Christ. Nothing can give you true and lasting joy. Nothing can give you true and lasting peace. Nothing can give you this sense of confidence before God except Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor. The one who is supernaturally wise to come and give himself, to be the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that our boast would not be in the wisdom of man and the wisdom of this world, but that our boast would be in the wisdom and provision of God. And I would just counsel you to stop living with your best guesses according to your own wisdom. It's exhausting, isn't it? If that's what you're clinging to, just your best guess or the, the, the next best thing that comes out there in this world or, or your own wisdom, it's exhausting. You don't have to live life in this exhausting manner. You can look to the wonderful counselor and find supernatural wisdom and salvation. Jesus came to give himself for our sake so that we could have hope. He came to be light in darkness so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have a righteous standing before a holy and righteous God. Look to him and trust in him. But not only is he wise to rescue us, he is wise to guide us. This world we know is fooled with, or full of endless counsel. There's endless counselors today. Sometimes counselors can be helpful. Sometimes counselors not so much. Paul even warns us to be careful in the counsel that we follow in Colossians 2, verse 8. 
He writes to the church of Colossae, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not what? According to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying Jesus is the wisdom of God. In him dwells the fullness of deity. In him exists all rule and authority. Now, think about that. Think about that statement. In him, in Jesus, the wonderful counselor, dwells the fullness of deity. Jesus doesn't just have a little bit of God in him. He is God in the flesh. In him exist all rule and authority. He has all authority over all things. He is God in the flesh. Then it's odd, isn't it, fellow Christians? It's odd, isn't it, that sometimes we, Christians, are banking all of our hope and seeking wisdom, not in Christ, but in someone or something else. We turn often to so many other voices as sources for guidance and truth. I'm not saying that human counsel is always unwarranted. There are plenty of human counselors that can help, but human counsel is just that. It's human, meaning it's limited. It's filled with flaws. But yet it's the endless well of wisdom contained in Christ that we've been given and that we need most. So Christians, I just ask you, what counselors are you most tempted to trust in today? What counselors are you most tempted to trust in, to give ear to? We all have counselors, don't fool yourself. We all have voices speaking into our lives, all of us do. Some good, some bad, some righteous, some unrighteous. Are you able to recognize them for what they are? To to compare them up to the truth that you find in God's word? And to see what is good and right versus that which is not? Are you more committed to human counselors than you are the wonderful counselor? Friends, it comes in many ways, whether it's Educators, cultural influencers, politicians, or even yourself, we all are hearing counsel. We all are receiving counsel, but it's the wonderful counselor, the the supernaturally wise counselor that we have in Christ that we need most. And it's so odd to me that I know my, my own self. But all all Christians at some point are just satisfied with the ways and the wisdom of this world and not with the wisdom of Christ. It's in Christ that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. So our hopes cannot ultimately rest upon human wisdom, upon human leaders, upon human influencers. Even their best efforts are deeply flawed. Friends, our hopes cannot rise and fall with human wisdom, human leaders, human elections, human educators, 
human this, human that. Our hopes cannot rise and fall when things go and come in this world. Our hope must be fully rooted in and confident in the wise and wonderful counselor we know as King Jesus. Our hope must be rooted in him. Friends, just think about this. Not only do we have a myriad of voices that are counseling us today, you're a counselor. You give advice. You give wisdom. You speak into other people's lives, whether you're a friend or a parent or whatever the case may be. You're speaking something into people's lives. And so is that something informed by the wisdom of a supernaturally wise Savior? Is that what you're speaking into people's lives, or are you just speaking what you hear? The next best thing that comes along, friends, we must understand that Jesus is wise to guide us. He's the wonderful counselor. He is supernaturally wise, and we must trust in him, and we must follow him. He is the ultimate teacher. He is wise to teach us the ways of salvation. As he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he is wise to guide us, to instruct us. Are we following him? He's a wonderful counselor, but number two, he is mighty God. He is mighty God. Isaiah does not hold back regarding the true character of this promised child. He is God Almighty. God the mighty one, or we could say even God the warrior. He is God with us who makes war for us. That's the the idea here behind this title. He fights on our behalf. It's important to see that this doesn't merely say the child would be like mighty God, but he is mighty God. The full divinity of this coming one is affirmed here. It's one of the greatest mysteries of all time, how God himself would clothe himself in human flesh and come and be the savior of the world. We know from from John's account, in John chapter one, John makes this really clear, doesn't he? Uh, When we read there um, in John's gospel, you could read the entire chapter of chapter one, but specifically in verses one through four, and then down through verse 14, it says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And later on we see, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, this is we're talking about, Jesus as mighty God. Notice him back in verse 6, the text there in Isaiah 9, says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That verse right there, that piece of verse 6, for to us a child is born, affirms the humanity of this coming child. But to us a son is given, affirms the divinity of this coming child, because he's being given by God. This child is not only divine. He would be the divine warrior. He is mighty God. There is military overtone in this language as we think about this child coming as mighty God. In fact, if you were to look back, if you were to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the very first few chapters of the Bible, they're in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve had already fallen. They had 
made that choice to go into sin, and God is now responding in chapter 3 of Genesis, very third chapter of the Scriptures. And this is what we hear the Lord say. He says, I will, he's, he's, he's cursing the serpent here, and he's making a promise. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, the seed, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right here in the first few chapters of the Bible, as we read of the record of sin's entrance into the world, we see a promise of an ages-long conflict that will culminate in a battle between the serpent and the seed of the woman. And so, friends, you need to understand, the seed of Genesis 3.15 is the son of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. What Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is saying is that the seed will be victorious over the serpent. The child was born to come and battle to be the victor over the serpent, but we already know that outcome. Even from Genesis, we see that is true. He will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. So Isaiah notes that when the promised seed comes, he will come as the divine warrior, as mighty God to fight for the good of his people. No alliance with any pagan nation or any righteous nation, for that matter, is needed. No alliance is needed for God himself will come and do the fighting on behalf of his people as mighty God. God. We know the final confrontation would happen at the cross when Jesus would be crucified and what looks like a defeat actually turns out to be a powerful and glorious victory as he declares that three days later in his triumphant resurrection from the dead. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews explains it all. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy. Jesus destroys, friends, that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That, friends, is why Christmas is such a big deal. This is why we celebrate this time of year. This is why this promised child, this son who was given, was of most importance. Friends, Christmas is the celebration of the arrival of the conquering King of Kings. His coming into this world to declare and to accomplish, not just make possible, but to actually accomplish victory on behalf of his people as he crushes the head of the serpent, as he dies in the place of sinners, as he's raised from the dead three days later. Friends, that is our hope. Our hope is not in how we can just clean ourselves up and hope God takes us for what we can offer. That's not our hope. If you're trusting in how good you can be before God, you will be damned for eternity. You're not going to be good enough. God's standard is absolute holiness. Absolute holiness. Absolute righteousness. And we all fail and fall short. But the good news, friends, is that God has so loved this world and he's so desiring to be your hope 
your joy that he sends forth his son into the world to be this conquering king. And Christ comes as a man. He identifies with us in the most personal way. He becomes one of us. He looks like us. He lives like us. He endures rejection. He experiences the pain and turmoil of a sin-cursed world. And he dies on a cross, yet three days later raised from the dead, triumphant. He lives. He ascended to the Father on high where he reigns and rules today. And he's promised just as he came the first time, he's coming again a second time. This is the reason you, brother and sister, this is the reason you can have hope amidst a dark and gloomy and anguishing world because God has sent forth the conquering Savior. I love this quote I came across a few weeks ago by Ray Ortland. Such an encouraging reminder. This is what he said. He said, the hope of the gospel makes us cheerfully defiant toward every disappointment that we endure in this broken world. Let me say that again. The hope of the gospel, Jesus, what he, who he is, what he did, the hope of the gospel makes us cheerfully defiant toward every disappointment that we endure in this broken world. Brothers and sisters, we can be cheerfully defiant amidst all the gloom, amidst all the disappointment, amidst amidst all the pain and suffering because God's promised victory that would come through this child named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So no matter what this world brings our way, no matter the grief, the pain, the hardships, the struggles, the disappointments, the gloom, the anguish, you can be cheerfully defiant because God clothed himself in humanity. And he invaded this world and ultimately he goes to a cross to bear your pain and judgment on himself so that he could forgive you and pardon you from your sin. Think about one further implication. Jesus comes as mighty God. And that means his power is demonstrated in his conquering victory for sinners. But listen to Paul's reflection on another important truth. Paul uses this language several times. He says several times, he he, he uses this phrase, Christ in you. Christ in you. Listen to what he says in Romans 8 as he's comparing life in the spirit to life in the flesh. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. Colossians 1, 27, speaking of how he was a minister to make the mysteries of Christ known that had now been revealed to his saints, Paul says this, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about this. Paul understood that the power of Christ was not merely visible, external out there to see, revealed for us in the word, but the power of Christ is also experienced in us. The same power that drew the gaze of shepherds and magi, the same power that left throngs of people amazed, the same power that healed sick, that gave sight to the blind, that raised the dead, that calmed storms, The same power that is all of this, friends, is the same power at work in you if you are in Christ Jesus. 
seeing this big picture of who Jesus is then should mold our joy and confidence amidst all the worldly skirmishes that we are impacted by, that we face. Whether temptation, whether disappointment, whether grief or suffering, whatever it is, Whatever skirmish you face in this life, know that you can do so confidently and contentedly because Christ is mighty. He is mighty God who fights on your behalf and he is mighty God in you, brothers and sisters. Therefore, amidst all the chaos and pain and toil and suffering, we can be cheerfully defiant. Friends, Christmas is the birth announcements of all birth announcements. This passage here not only tells us the name of the Messiah, but in telling us his name, we're told of what he would actually come and accomplish. This promised child was wonderful counselor. He came to teach us the way of salvation and to guide us in all truth. And he is mighty God. He came as the one who would fight on behalf of his people and empower us. Brothers and sisters, this is good news because in Jesus, this means we are safe and we are secure. There's nothing in this world that can ultimately overcome us. Friends, it's a good reminder that we are neither wise nor strong, but Jesus is both. He is wise and he is strong. And friends, he alone is our hope and our joy. Let's cling to him amidst all the anguish and the gloom that we see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder and this truth. We thank you for giving us hope and for shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ amidst the darkness. Lord, for invading this world as you've done through this child, through this son that was given for our sake. Lord, this was announced 700 years prior to his arrival and was to be the hope and foundation of your people as they looked forward to that day. And Lord, he came and he did exactly as told. The prophets said, he came, he lived, he died, he was raised from the dead, he ascended and is now at your right hand, O Father. Father, would you help us to realize that our hope can only be found in him. Lord, it may be this morning that we are clinging to all kinds of counselors and all kinds of other types of false saviors today. God, would you expose that in our own lives? Would you expose where we are weak and foolish clinging to false promises and false saviors, substitute saviors, other kinds of counselors? Would you help us to be wise, Lord, not in ourselves, but, Lord, in you, that our hope would be fully and firmly in you? And, Father, would you help us to realize that we have in Christ the one who is mighty God, the one who came to give all that was needed for our deliverance and victory, And that in Jesus, there truly is victory and there is joy. 
So, Father, would you encourage your people today with that truth? Would you sustain them with this confidence and hope? And, Father, for those who may not be yours, would you call them to yourself in light of this hope today? That they would find true and lasting confidence and true and lasting joy in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.